You're listening to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. After Mark and Grace Driscoll's new book, Win Your War, looks at how God creates and Satan counterfeits. There's a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the church. This is a super biblical and practical book. Order Win Your War today. All right, we're almost to the end of the series today and then next week and then joy to the world. We're gonna be in Philippians. If you're looking for the joy sermon, come back. It's probably not today, but it's on the horizon, amen? Here's what we're talking about today. Learn to discern between what God creates and Satan counterfeits. And one of the big theses that my wife Grace and I establish in the Win Your War book is that God creates and Satan counterfeits. God creates everyone and everything. Satan creates no one and nothing. All he can do is counterfeit what God creates. I'll give you an analogy or an illustration. I was talking to a friend recently and they're in this very frustrating season. They were just sort of lamenting and unloading about what they're dealing with. They are a victim of identity theft and they're in the middle of it. Any of you experience this? All of a sudden, somebody that's not you is opening up credit cards, buying cars, taking out home loans. Someone somehow got their online digital footprint, got access to their driver's license, somehow came to know their social security number, and they are dealing with absolute total chaos and it feels to them like war. And what they said was, it's so frustrating because we've built our whole life, we've been creating a credit score, we've been creating a credit history, and now all of that is just being destroyed and it's being counterfeited. Somebody's pretending to be us and using all of our resources to cause us harm. And I said, well, what's the most frustrating part? They said, trying to convince people that it's really us. Call the credit card company, somebody sold my credit card. Well, how do we know it's you? Ah, it's frustrating because they have counterfeited so well that even some of the credit card companies don't know who the real and, and the counterfeit might be. Let me submit to you that this is, this is how Satan works. This is his battle plan. He wants to counterfeit God. He wants to identity theft God. He wants to say and do things that you will think are from the Lord so that number one, you could be led astray and number two, you could be hurt. And so what we're gonna look at are these two concepts biblically. And it starts in Genesis chapter one, verse one. God creates, Satan counterfeits. Genesis 1.1, the first thing we learn about God, this is the first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God did what? He created, so God is creator. You're not here by evolutionary happenstance, circumstance, or chance. You're here by God's divine providence. That's how we got here. God made the world that we see. God made the world that we don't see. God is the creator. And Satan is the counterfeiter of what God creates. Second Thessalonians 2, nine through 10 says, of the works of Satan. So you need to know this, not only is God at work in your life, Satan is at work in your life. You need to know that. The reason I tell you that, if you don't know that, you will blame things on God that Satan has done. I was talking to a young woman in this series, very dear, newer Christian, and um, she was abused when she was a child, she was assaulted. And I said, well, how are you processing that? She said, I just don't know why God would do that to me. Her dad was the one who abused her. What I told her was, God is a father who doesn't plot to destroy his daughters, amen? God's not in heaven going, there's my girl, how can I break her? That's not the heart of God. God's heart is a father's heart. I said, what your dad did, it was demonic, it was satanic, it was evil. It was a work from the enemy of God and of you because God loves you. I said, what do you think about Satan? She said, I don't think about Satan. She said, I just thought it was me and God. And so it have, if it happened, maybe it was God. I said, you cannot overlook Satan, evil, the demonic. I said, what happened to you as a little girl breaks God's heart. And it was an attack from the unseen realm. The work of Satan talks about it as counterfeit. And there's our word, 
power and signs and miracles. People get healed, revelation gets given, supernatural things happen, test the source. Is it from the creator or the counterfeiter? He will use every kind of evil and deception. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. He's in the midst right now of counterfeiting gender and marriage and sexuality, you name it. Much if not most of our conflicts culturally are between what God creates and Satan counterfeits. And as a result comes the conflict. That being said, one clue that the Bible gives you when you're uncovering a counterfeit, it uses the word false. I'm gonna quote some scriptures in the remainder of this sermon. Just wanna put that in your mind. Look for that word false. That's the counterfeit. And so you can grab a free copy of the Win Your War book on the way out, but just some of the categories that we built the entire book around. God creates Satan counterfeits, angels, demons, obedience, rebellion, truth, lies, spirit-filled, demon-possessed, cleansing, defilement, humility, pride, forgiveness, bitterness, worship, idolatry, contentment, coveting, peace, fear, unity, division, shepherds, wolves, God esteem, self esteem, covenant with God, inner vow with self, living by the spirit, living in the flesh, a life of freedom versus slavery. God creates a revival, Satan responds with a riot. This leads to life or death in the church and world and it all culminates in the kingdom of God or hell. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. You need to know this. Politics is not neutral. Morality is not neutral. Sociology, anthropology, psychology, all of the ologies, they're not neutral. They're either communicating that which is consistent with the creator or that which is counter to the creator. The same is true even in the entertainment industry. The, the movies that we watch, the songs that we sing, the books that we read, the cultural narratives that we believe, are they in line with that which God creates or are they opposed and that which Satan counterfeits? So the next point is knowing these two categories, part of spiritual warfare is discernment. Discernment is saying that is of the Lord, that is against the Lord. And being able to determine that comes from the kingdom of light, that comes from the kingdom of darkness. That's called discernment. God doesn't want you to be naive. God doesn't want you to be jaded. God wants you to be discerning. How many of you are more naive? You're a little, you're just be honest, right? I mean, don't raise your hand too high. Somebody will see it and they'll take advantage of you. Okay, don't raise it too high. You're like, I trust people, I love people, people have a good heart, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Good luck with that. How many of you, you were like that for a while and now you're jaded. You're like, I moved to Arizona because I can always carry a gun. I'm very jaded. I'm very, people are evil and some people are really evil. Those are your two categories, I trust no one. Okay, God doesn't want you to be jaded because you were hurt or naive so that you can be hurt. He wants you to be discerning so that you can distinguish between what God creates and Satan counterfeits. Here's the scripture. It's a long one, but 1 John 4, one through six, beloved. Hey, this, is, this is wonderful news. God loves you. God loves you. Start there. As he talks about Satan and demons and warfare, you're like, I'm so scared. No, you're beloved. God loves you. Satan hates you, but God loves you. This is the kind of language that a husband and wife use for one another, a parent or a child or a grandparent or a grandchild. Some of the translations will say, my little children. It's the father heart of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Don't believe everything that you hear in the classroom. Don't believe everything you see on the screen. Don't believe every book you read, every thought you have, or every piece of advice you are given. You gotta test it. You need to be discerning. Do not believe every spirit. And what he's saying is that behind ideas and movements and cultural groupings are spirits. It's spiritual. It's not just entertainment. It's not just religion. It's not just philosophy. It's not just politics. It is two kingdoms in conflict and the battlefield continually wars and wages in all of the disciplines here on the earth. Do not believe every spirit, but test, test. Test the spirits to see whether they are 
from God. For many false, there's our word false. That's the Bible's language for the counterfeit. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God. He's distinguishing between the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirits. The Holy Spirit who lead us to Jesus, the unholy spirits who lead us away from Jesus. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that God has become the God-man Jesus Christ is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Some of you will wonder, what does this mean? There's an idea, but behind it is a spirit. A spirit will give a false idea to a person who will then communicate. And ultimately what they're doing is they're delivering Satan's mail. Even a Christian can deliver Satan's mail. There's a guy named Peter. He says something to Jesus. Jesus then says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was a believer delivering Satan's mail. What he was saying is not echoing what God was saying. It was echoing what Satan was saying. What he's talking about here is the world is filled with voices that are counter to the voice of Christ. And that ultimately it is possible for a believer, a child of God to be deceived. And as a result, deliver the devil's mail. He goes on. Um, next slide, please. This is the spirit of the... Antichrist, that's against Christ. There is one being called the Antichrist, powerful, demonic, evil, but there is a spirit of Antichrist. This is demonic spirit against Christ. You know that spirit of Antichrist is present when there is a war against Christ and what Christ is for. If you look at this culturally, politically, you will see clearly that there is a battle that is raging those who are for Christ and his kingdom and those who are against it. This is the battle. And it says in Ephesians 6 that our battle, our war is not against flesh and blood, just people, but powers, principalities, and spirits who are working through those people. And he has taken those people captive to do as well. And Jesus comes to set captives free and then ultimately to crush the spirits that have enslaved them. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Little children, you are from who? God, if you're a Christian, you're from God and have overcome them. Some of you are like, how do I win this war? The war was already won. That's why the language of the Bible when it comes to spiritual warfare often uses this language, stand firm. If you are on a military force that is defeated, an enemy foe, you don't need to win the war. You just need to hold your ground. Don't retreat, don't surrender, hold your ground. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus rose to forgive your sin. Jesus rose to conquer your enemy. His is the victory. You stand in his authority. You are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter what spirit is against you if the Holy Spirit is in you. Greater is the creator than whatever he has created. No demon is equal to God. No demon has the authority that, that God has. No, no demon has the power or knowledge that God contains. You don't need to worry about all that is going on in the world. You need to make sure that the spirit of God is at work in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They, speaking of those who follow the counterfeit spirits, are from the world. The world system is actively opposed to God. The world system is like gravity. It seeks to pull you down ultimately to hell. This is where people born into this world think that the way that we do it is natural. It's unnatural, it's rebellious. You can't just say, I'm going to do money and sex and power and marriage and ministry and vocation just like everybody else. All of that is hellbound, and you're gonna need to fight gravity if you wanna serve God. That's the world. The world system is opposed to God and Satan is the prince of the power of this world. He is behind its systems, structures, and strategies.
They are from the world. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth, he is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of error is any unclean spirit that is counterfeiting the spirit of God. How to be discerning. And let me just say this, there is a very practical application here for everyone, but particularly and firstly for the parents. Sometimes in Christian homes, we either raise kids that are scared or naive. Naive, they don't know how to make a decision because the parents make all the decisions. Or scared because the parents tell them about all the evil in the world and don't tell them about the power of God. That ultimately discernment comes, he says here, by looking at the message and the messenger. First is the message and it all comes down to Jesus. Start with Jesus, stick with Jesus, stay with Jesus. I've said for 20 some years, it's all about Jesus. If you wanna know whether this is for or against God, figure out who or what they think Jesus is. And what happens is in all religions, spiritualities and political parties, they all seek to recruit a counterfeit Christ to give you trust in them, which is deception. I'll give you some examples. If you go to a Jehovah's Witness, which is a cult, if you go to a Jehovah's Witness, you say, who is Jesus? They'll say, he is not the creator, he is the archangel Michael and a created being. That's a different Jesus. If you're from the Southeast Valley, you got a lot of Mormons, right? They've got all these temples. You ask them, what do you think about Jesus? They'll say, well, we believe in Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Is he the creator? No, he's a created being. He's a man who became God and got his own planet. And you can be like Jesus and become a God and get your own planet. Different Jesus, right? Different Jesus, different Jesus. Some of you are offended. I could see it on your face. Two things I will tell you. Offensive is my second spiritual gift. My first spiritual gift is leadership. So just follow me, even if you're offended. <laughs> what happens then is every political party wants to dress up Jesus. Every religion wants to dress up Jesus. It's all counterfeits. Look at the message. Do they say that Jesus is God, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity who took upon himself human flesh and entered into human history? Right, that Jesus who forgives sin and defeats Satan. Are we talking about the same Jesus? Look at the message and then look at the messenger. And what he says is everyone who is on the spirit of truth listens to us. Look at the messenger. Do they have the spirit of God? That's what he is saying. There is the spirit of lie, the spirit of truth, the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of God. He's asking, do they have the Holy Spirit? This is where sometimes you need to get to know somebody and ask some questions before you rush to conclusions. I've seen horrible things said about some Christian leaders. And when I've met them, I asked them and they're like, that's actually not what I believe. Here's what I believe. The spirit of God is in you and you do love Jesus and you're just being attacked. So let me not join the parade. Sometimes we need to get to know people. Sometimes we need to ask them questions about the message of Jesus, and we need to see if the Spirit of God is at work in them. That being said, what God creates, Satan counterfeits, God wants you to be discerning, and part of discernment is knowing Satan's battle plans. I think it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, that Satan won't outwit us if we know his schemes. The concept there is military. If you're going to war, you do as much research as you can on your enemy, and then that helps you prepare your battle plan to defend yourself. That being said, I'm gonna share with you a five-step process that I believe Satan in the demonic realm uses to march into people's lives. Once you know the battle plan, you can subvert that battle plan. Number one, God creates humility. Satan's counterfeit is pride. Some of you are like, oh, pride, I thought that was good. That's because Satan now does marketing. Self-esteem, self-love, self-help, self-actualization. It's pride in the self, not humility and dependence upon God. Some of you are like, but what about the pride parades? Are they demonic? One plus one is two, you do the math. Okay, 
You do the math. I've never seen a humility parade. Nobody would show up for it if they were really humble. We're here to tell you how humble we are. In fact, take our photo. In heaven, there is only humility. There was no pride until Satan became proud in his heart. It's a counterfeit of what God creates as a culture. Ezekiel 28.2, thus says the Lord God, he's speaking of Satan, you're what? Your heart is proud. He said, I am a God, meaning I should be in God's place. I should be my own authority. I should live independently of God. Pride happens when I'm smarter than they are. I'm smarter than he is. I know what needs to happen. I should be in charge. Somebody should listen to me. Uh, you know, I, I do a better job. And those people who are proud, it goes on to say, I sit in the seat of the gods. Are you sitting in God's seat? Are you judging people that he's forgiven? Are you condemning people that he's forgiven? Are you disagreeing with things that he is saying? If so, it's a pride problem and you're sitting in God's seat. This is exactly what Satan sought to do in heaven. It's like, I disagree, I think I'd be a better God. Get off the throne, I'll take your place. It's rebellion. Number two, his next step begins with pride, moves forward to rebellion and stubbornness. God creates a culture of honor. Satan counterfeits it with a culture of rebellion. Your home and family has a culture. Our church family has a culture. Your business has a culture. Nations have cultures. Extended family systems have cultures. God wants it to be a culture of honor. Satan wants it to be a culture of rebellion. Now we live in a culture that says that rebellion is actually a virtue, not a vice. It is expected that children would rebel against their parents, that citizens would rebel against their elected officials, that everybody would just rebel. We're a whole nation founded on rebellion. Not saying I wanna be British, but I am saying I don't think it's good to be rebellious. And what has happened is this spirit of rebellion creeps in to where anytime there is authority, we declare war on it, and that is part of the demonic deception. I'll prove it to you. First Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is as sinful as, which, just so you know, witchcraft is sinful too. So I'm like, what about the witches? I, somebody asked me this recently. They're like, well, I'm not a bad witch, I'm a good witch. I'm like, okay, I saw, you know, I saw the Wizard of Oz, it's all bad witches. I don't care what you say. It's a deception if you think you're a white witch and not a black witch. When it comes to witchcraft, witchcraft is how people actively recruit what into their life? Demonic spirits. Rebellion does the same thing as witchcraft. It invites demonic spirits into your life. This is why some people who are rebellious and demonically empowered are exhausting. Satan and demons don't share in the limits of our humanity. You and I, we get sick, we get tired, we get dehydrated, we get the flu. Divine beings do not, angels and demons. It says that they worship and serve God day and night, that they accuse the children of God day and night. You and I can't do that. We need to go to bed. Satan and demons have the ability to overwhelm our humanity. When people are rebellious and they invite demonic forces into their life, they just exhaust you. They beat you down, they wear you out. They will never stop because the power that is fueling them, it is spiritual and not just physical. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot win that war on your own strength. It's rebellion. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Let you know a little secret, stubbornness is not a spiritual gift. Stubbornness is not a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, stubbornness. No, it's not in there. <laughs> stubbornness is not a ministry. Stubbornness is demonic. It begins with pride and then rebellion. Pride, I should be in charge. Rebellion, 
I will not submit to your authority. Stubbornness, I will not move. How many of you are raising this child? You're like, my kid is the devil, right? Like, um, no, they're, they're not, but the devil wants them too. So you gotta, how many of you, your parents worked around your stubbornness? Stubbornness is not something to be worked around. It's something that God needs to work on. Stubborn people, they want to have everyone work around them. Oh, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm not moving. You deal with it. Great, you're demonic. <laughs> no, I'm resilient. No, you're demonic. No, I'm just strong-willed. You're demonic. What's stubbornness mean in the Greek? It means you. Right? <laughs> Step three. I know, I know it's not you. I'm just saying in your life, there are people like this that I want you to be aware of. There you go. Okay. Okay. Pride, rebellion, stubbornness, division. This is how Satan worked in heaven when he declared war on God and it continues on the earth. Defeat division with unity. God creates unity. Satan's counterfeit is division. In heaven with God and the angels, there was no division, just unity until Satan had division and created a faction. Division literally means, I've told you this, but I'll repeat it, two visions. God's like, here's my vision. Satan's like, here's my vision. Two visions, division. And then what happens, there is a war and every angelic and other divine being has to choose a side. Are you on God's side, sharing God's vision? Are you on Satan's side, sharing Satan's vision? This is always the us versus them. Some of you grew up in families that maybe even they were Christian, but the way that they operated was demonic because there was division. How important is it, for example, for a husband and wife to have one vision? Very, said all the people that are still married, okay? <laughs> what happens is Jesus says, a house that's divided can't stand, it falls down. Satan wants to get in between the husband and the wife, and then they have two visions, there is division, and then what do the children need to choose? Their side in the war. Are you on dad's side or mom's side? Be nice if mom and dad were on the same side so we had unity and not division. It starts at the top. He says it this way in Romans 16, 17 through 20, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Here's what it says to do with them, avoid them. Don't waste all your energy on them. Don't feed them. If you engage, you will enrage. And on social media, just shut it down. Amen. Right? Just, just, you know, okay, that's it. I'm offline. I'm gonna go talk to the Holy Spirit, not respond in the flesh. The hard part sometimes is when these divisive people who cause factions are in your family. Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming. Some of you are like, oh no. Because when you get together with a family, they're like, I hate your mother, I hate your grandmother, I hate your mother's mother's grandmother, okay? And all of a sudden you're like, okay, we've got us versus them, we've got division, we got faction. Some of you need to have an honest conversation with a family, and that is, I love you, but demonic Thanksgiving is a little disappointing, okay? Just something to pray about, okay? Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil, what God creates and Satan counterfeits. The God of peace will soon crush you. Satan, under your feet, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says, God wants to give you grace to live in unity. Satan's demonic plot in plan is to cause division in your, in your family, in our church family, maybe in your business and or ministry. And you know you have division when you see true buildup. I'm with them, so we're against them. No, 
now that there's a fight, I'm in the fight, I'm loading my gun and I am shooting them. And Satan stands back and just celebrates. They're shooting each other. I don't even need to waste the bullet. It's self-destruction. You know something is from the Lord when it's a win-win because God loves all of his kids. You know it's a win-lose when it's the flesh. You know it's demonic when it's lose-lose. Nobody wins. When mom and dad declare war on each other, nobody wins. When Christians declare war on other Christians in front of non-Christians, nobody wins. That's what division does. It brings demonic destruction. Division brings demonic destruction. Pride, rebellion, stubbornness, division, it culminates in then two cultures at war. God's goal and objective is often to create a loving family. Satan's counterfeit of that is mob mentality. So God is father, Jesus is son. The Bible's language is family. Treat older men as you would a father, treat older women as you would a mother. Young men treat younger women like sisters. And the Bible often opens books of the New Testament talking about brothers, family. God is loving, God is relational, God is unified. God works in familial terms. Satan's counterfeit of that is mob mentality. Attack the family, destroy the family, undermine the mentality that God would have for their unity. I'll give it to you from a guy named Judas Iscariot, okay? Jesus comes to the earth, God becomes a man. He has 12 disciples. Does he have a counterfeit on his team? He does, he does. Satan was the counterfeit on God's leadership team in heaven. Judas was Satan's counterfeit disciple on earth. Sometimes the most religious, the most spiritual, sometimes those who are formally in leadership roles are working in a covert way for the other side. This was Judas Iscariot. Part of his demonic deception is that he was covert. You didn't know that he was a bad guy until the end. Here's what it says. He is part of Jesus' loving family. He spent three years with Jesus, but then one day, this is during the course of the Last Supper. We'll celebrate that with communion in a short bit. I preached through the whole gospel of John. And what I was shocked by were these two scriptures. Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, Satan entered into him, okay? If you're a believer, you can't be demon possessed, but unbelievers can be fully controlled and surrendered to Satan, just like you can be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Here, Satan enters him, but is Judas a victim? He welcomed it. He'd been stealing money from Jesus as the accountant of the ministry for three years. This was not new. This was the revealing of who he truly was. He then leaves the Last Supper. It is nighttime. Jesus knows that he is about to die. And here's what we find in John 18. And all of this is in the course of a night. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests. So these are Roman leaders. These are Jewish political or Jewish spiritual leaders, Roman political leaders and the Pharisees who are the most legalistic, self-righteous, judgmental, difficult people of all. He brings these three groups together. Do they usually work together? No, this is like the lesbians and the Muslims are on the same team, you know? Like he's, he said that, yeah, he does that, that's what he does. Okay, so <laughs> Judas having procured a band of soldiers, some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Did this happen that night or was this a plot that was in play for a long time? You don't get legal right to arrest somebody, um, military armed soldiers, three disparate groups that hate each other to align with each other, unless you've been working on it. Judas Iscariot, we don't see him lead anything until he leads the coup. Sometimes people just overtly hang back as they're plotting their attack. That's Judas. And what does he show up with? 
shows up with a mob to go after the family. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Let me just say this. If you are assembling your troops for war, you are just echoing the great war in heaven. That's why God wants us to work toward being a loving family and not assemble with mob mentality. And it's interesting, we deal with it briefly in the book, but when a mob mentality shows up, there's like a spirit that goes over the mob and people just lose their mind. They say and do things that are totally out of character. It's because they're open to demonic temptation and torment. And let me just submit to you in the day of, you know, what's our daily rage and what's trending on the internet and who's attacking who today? This is constantly in front of us and we need the spirit in us to guard us against it. Number five, you defeat war by choosing peace. Pride, rebellion, stubbornness, division, mob, I recruited my troops for war. Now we're going to war. The first shot is fired. The battle has begun. In your family, your ministry, our church family, God creates a culture of peace. When God was done in heaven, there was only peace. There wasn't any war until Satan decided that he would be proud, rebellious, stubborn, divisive, assemble a mob of divine beings and then declare war. This is, see the Bible doesn't tell us just what happened. It tells us what always happens because behind that battle and our battles are the same spirits and they're using the same battle plan. God's intent is that the culture of your home and our church family would be one of peace. Satan wants it to be a culture of war and conflict. I wouldn't have said this when I started the series, but now that I'm seven weeks in, I think Revelation 12, seven through nine might be the most insightful scripture on spiritual warfare. And I keep coming back to it because it gives us such revelation of how things are working in our world. Now, war, war, war on who? God. It arose in heaven in the presence of God. Sometimes my charismatic and Pentecostal friends, and I'm charismatic, I love the Holy Spirit. How do you know the difference? Just so you know real quick. In worship, when we sing in, in a moment, people do this are Baptists, okay? Um, okay? People who do this are charismatic, and people who do this are Pentecostal. Those are the, the when, you get, when you join the team, that's what you're told. So, um, if you do this, you're confused, okay? Uh, you're a Baptocostal, okay? So you're confused. And sometimes my charismatic and Pentecostal friends in worship, they'll say, come into God's presence, enjoy God's presence, live in God's presence. And that's true because God is a dad and wherever his kids are, he likes to come hang out there. I believe that. But war erupted in the presence of God. You need not only be in the presence of God, you need to be in the presence of God with a surrendered heart. If you come into the presence of God with a proud heart, with a rebellious heart, with a stubborn heart, with a divided heart, you will not be worshiping. You'll be warring against God in your heart if you're worshiping God with your song. So how's your heart? How's your heart? People can come to church to declare war on God. War arose in heaven, Michael, one of the only two named angels in the Bible along with Gabriel and his angels fighting against the dragon who is Satan. The dragon and his angels fought back. It's a war. Some of you wonder, why is life so hard? Because you're in a war. Why does it feel like I got shot? Because you got shot. Why does it feel like every day I get up and somebody's against me? Because you get up every day and somebody's against you. The Bible makes sense of reality against the dragon, the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. I'd never caught that until the 9 a.m. and the Holy Spirit gave me a revelation. When God was done, there was no place for Satan. You need to know that in your life, in your family, there can be no place for Satan. He wants to move into your finances. He wants to move into your bedroom. He wants to move into your relationships. He wants to move into your theology, leave no place for him. 
Some of you are like, he used to live in the living room, but I put him in the guest bedroom. No, there should be no place for him. You should not tolerate a little bit of evil in your life. There should be no place for it at all. There was no place for it in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down to where? Earth. All our battles are part of the great war. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Every nation, every culture has demonic elements. There is no culture that is perfect and pure except for the culture in the kingdom of God. Every culture in the world is stained. It is marred. It is corrupted. It is counterfeited by the dragon. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. What happens is that the war in heaven comes to earth. It shows up in your life and it shows up in the church. I wanna make a transition here. This is gonna be a little heavy for some of you and really heavy for the rest of you. That's where we're going. If Satan is at work in the whole world and if he attacks leadership and seeks war to overthrow governance so that people would be damaged and harmed, and if that is his battle plan, would it not make sense that this war would come to the church? It happened in heaven, it happened in the ministry of Jesus, it happens in every ministry. I'm going to tell you about Satan's plan, not just for our church, but for the church. What God creates, he counterfeits. Here's why I'm telling you. At some point, Satan is gonna visit this church. Now he's not gonna go on the website and fill out a plan your visit and you know, meet the volunteers out front and get a free bag. He's not, he's not gonna do that. He's gonna show up in a covert way. How many of you have been in a church and Satan showed up? They weren't ready for it. What should we be ready for it? Here's why I'm telling it to you now. It's peacetime. Things are, I, I love you, we're getting along good. It's hard to preach against war in the war. You preach against war during peace so that people know that eventually war is coming. In addition, sometimes the war is not just within the church, but it's between the churches. We don't war against other churches. Satan already has that job covered. We don't attack other ministries or leaders. War is not a ministry, war is demonic. What God creates, Satan counterfeits, and he sends the counterfeits into the church, just like he sent the counterfeits into the presence of God, just like he sent the counterfeit Judas into the leadership team of Jesus. So God has real apostles. These are spiritual leaders that oversee pastors and churches and church planning and missions and multiplying and Satan has counterfeit or false apostles. Everything the apostles are building, they are breaking. They are attacking them. They're building their platform by opposing them. It's all destruction. I won't get into all the verses. You can find them on the Trinity Church app or markdriscoll.org. I've got all the notes in there. You can look them up. False prophets, a real prophet prepares God's people for the real future. A false prophet prophesies a false future. Some of you have false prophets in your life. They're speaking doom and not destiny over you. We had that when we announced the church. Somebody came up to me, they're like, that church will never get planted. Hey, we're open next Sunday, come back, right? That's a false prophecy. That's a false prophecy. One comes to mind when my kids were little, I had somebody come up and say, I know your kids are good, but eventually they're all gonna rebel. Don't falsely prophesy over my family. Don't prophesy doom, prophesy destiny. False prophets, false teachers. God has real teachers to teach people his word. False teachers are sent in to confuse and undermine and critique the real teachers. Let me tell you this, sometimes this even happens at Christian colleges. Satan can not only get on the board at Jesus' ministry, he can get in the classroom at some universities. 
I've dealt with college kids for years who love the Lord. They go to college, their prof is supposed to be a Christian, but they are a false teacher and undermine everything that the scripture says, causing tremendous confusion for the kid. And the Christian parents are paying for the subversion. False teachers. Don't believe every blog, don't believe every book, don't believe every podcast, don't believe every lecture. Test everything by the word of God. Because there are also not just sound doctrines and sound is the Greek word for healthy. Sound doctrine makes you healthy. False doctrines make you sick. Just like food in the body of a child determines their health or illness, so you need the word of God so that you can be healthy. Sound doctrine literally means Healthy, that's the language the Bible uses. God wants you to be healthy, not just in your body, but in your soul. And Jesus says that we don't just live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need to have a diet, not just for your body, but also for your soul. False teachers with false doctrines are feeding you poison to destroy you. And it breaks my heart because I know that many people are the product of their instruction. They've been poorly taught and as a result, they're sickly. And they're not bad people, they're people that have been deceived by one who is bad. Sometimes too, in the church comes false brothers. Paul uses this very language. They say they're a Christian, they do Christian things, but they're not Christians. Satan was a counterfeit angel, Judas was a counterfeit disciple, there will be counterfeit and false brothers. Now. I don't wanna tempt your bitterness, but how many of you, you thought somebody was a Christian, but over time you realize, other team. Right, they said they love the Lord, they didn't. They they said that they love the Lord and, and they're dangerous. Don't be naive, don't be jaded, be discerning. I've been doing this long enough, more than 20 years as a senior pastor. There is a list of people that I would have thought for sure they love the Lord Jesus. Today they deny him. Today they are anti-Christ, today they oppose him. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's like, oh, I prayed with you. Like I, I, I knew you, what the heck? This is demonic. It's counterfeit, it's false. And then number six, false elders. What we're talking about here is church leadership. Satan was on the board in heaven. Judas was on the board on earth. And Satan wants to put people like Judas on the board of the church. Just tell you a little story. It was Wednesday, I was teaching at a pastor's conference here in the valley and we've got great relationships with churches, more than 40 churches across the valley and world. When we said we were gonna plant, just sent us checks unsolicited to get this thing up. There are play toys and chairs and stuff all over the property from churches all over the valley. The family has loved us well. So I was teaching some of these pastors regionally on Wednesday at a, at a conference. Boom, I show up in the coffee shop. A couple comes up to me, dear couple that planted a church and somebody got on the board and just declared war on them and now their family's just spinning. The wife is crying. I go in to teach the session. I, I get done, one of the first guys in line, he's a pastor, he's like, I gave a talk on spiritual warfare. And he came up, he's like, oh, I see it. He said, in my church, there's a legal governing board that I'm not allowed to be on. Every other year, you can nominate yourself, run for office like a political party. And then the five people who win get to be my boss. I was like, well, it's just look at America. I wouldn't go, let's do that. That's, that's going good. Look at the unity, you know? Look at the love, boy, the fruit of the spirit, no. I said, well, the humble people will never run for office. He's like, I know. And he said, so then we get factions and they attack each other. He said, I can see who's gonna win. And so I'm just gonna resign. I said, what's gonna happen to your family? He said, I don't know. Guy loves Jesus. I got a call some months ago, middle of the night, Saturday night, call from a guy who had been at his church for more than 40 years. I didn't even know him. A friend gave him my number. He's like, Pastor Mark, I'm getting fired tomorrow. What do I do? And his wife's on the phone crying, we're on speakerphone. I love pastors, I love their families. I said, well, tell me what happens. He says, I'm pro-life. 
Some people got themselves on the board that are not pro-life. Every year I preach a pro-life sermon on pro-life Sunday and I did it again this year and they're gonna fire me for it tomorrow. I was like, I'm sorry, brother, that's, that's warfare. You're teaching the word of God and protecting life and their ministry is to stop you from teaching the word of God and take life? That's a counterfeit. That's a counterfeit. Acts chapter 20 is amazing in its insight. The first time that I really grasped this scripture, I was a young man getting ready to plant our first church. I was like 25 years of age, no kids yet. I went to bed one night and I had a prophetic dream. God showed me like a movie, opening night of the church. I'm in the foyer, a guy walks in. I saw what he's wearing, what he's carrying. I, I heard every single word that he said. And he was a wolf, not a shepherd. He was false, not real. He was counterfeit, not sent by the creator. And he was a guy in our ministry who was older that I was hoping would be like a spiritual father to me because I, I was a young guy who didn't know what he was doing. And in the dream, God spoke to me two verses. He spoke to me audibly, 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock that I have given you and Acts chapter 20. I didn't even know what Acts chapter 20 was. Men will arise from your own number, distort the truth and lead many astray. So be on guard and just remember, I have warned you in tears. That's the summary. So I woke up and I grabbed my Bible. I was like, what the heck is Acts 20? Paul planted a church in a city called Ephesus. It was a headquarters from which he set up a training hall and sent out missionaries all over the Roman empire. He was called of God to leave. It was a port city, get on a ship, leave, never to come again. He assembles the leadership. Today, we would call them the governing board. That's the language that the IRS would use for us. They're the legal board. He assembled them and with tears in his eyes, he says, I preach to you the whole counsel of God's word. I'm getting on a boat, I'm leaving. You'll never see me again on the earth. Oh, and by the way, one of you is a Judas. Men, plural, will rise from your own number, distort the truth and lead many astray. This is at the board meeting. Can you imagine Paul gets on the ship and they're all looking at each other like, one, two, three, not it. Like, who is it? <laughs> who is it? Satan had somebody lurking and ready to step forward once Paul is leaving. Why do I tell you this? I'm gonna tell you what I wanted to tell you, but I didn't make it the title of the sermon because you wouldn't have shown up. Go back real quick. What this creates is church hurt. Man, I thought they were our leader. I thought they spoke for God. I thought they taught me the Bible. I thought what I learned was the truth. I thought I could trust them. I thought that the leaders love the Lord. It causes church hurt. How many of you have been in church and experienced church hurt? Right. If you were in leadership, you're probably the one who experienced the most church hurt. It's weird because it is a spiritual battle and the church is the only army that we take our wives and kids to the front line. If you grew up as a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid, you know what this war feels like and it causes a lot of hurt. In those moments where you and I feel hurt, so if you have church hurt, I'm not even gonna argue that you're being petty or it wasn't a big deal. I'm not, let me just say, fine, I accept it. Whatever hurt you was real and I'm really sorry for that. But in that moment where you experience that hurt, sometimes it's from somebody working in the flesh. Sometimes Satan sent them. I don't think that most churches have a lot of people that Satan sent, but there are always a few. Sometimes we're just fallen sinful people. We make mistakes. Our church family's like a family. And how many of you, somebody in your family hurts you? Welcome to the family. All right, so you gotta forgive so you can stay family. What happens when church hurt occurs is that God wants, it to use, God wants to use it so that you can minister at a deeper capacity. Satan wants to use it so that you will cause destruction at a deeper capacity. So let me share it with you. Next slide, please. Here's, here's what happens. Right. The flesh and Satan, in addition to the Holy Spirit, are at work in a church family and a family. At some point, 
hurt occurs. Now at that moment, you have a decision to make. Will I invite heaven down into the situation or pull hell up into the situation? If you wanna invite Satan into your hurt, he's very glad to join you in the fight. He's got other bitter people that are waiting to form an unholy alliance like the one that was formed against Jesus. If you'll invite the Holy Spirit and the culture of heaven down, it will heal your church hurt and it will not exacerbate your pain. How do you do this? When you have church hurt, you literally have a spiritual warfare decision to make. I will extend forgiveness or bitterness. If I choose bitterness, I will grieve the Holy Spirit. I will give the devil a foothold. I will pull hell up into the situation. If I forgive, I will invite the Holy Spirit and I will invite heaven down into the situation. In addition, when you're hurt, you're more susceptible to believe lies. Here's one of the most pervasive. All Christians are hypocrites. I've met a lot of Christians. Most of them are not hypocrites. I've met a few Judases. They look like they're on the team, but they're not. Most of God's people I met, they're trying to do the right thing and they know that they've fallen short. They're not hypocrites, they're in the fight. You can believe lies or you can believe truth. The result then is you're either gonna make a covenant with God or an inner vow with self. God creates a covenant, Satan wants to counterfeit that with an inner vow. When you have church hurt, God says, it's not good to be alone, don't forsake gathering together. Your inner vow says, I'm better on my own, I'm not going to church. God says, pray for one another, love one another, comfort one another. The inner vow says, people hurt you, you don't need people. I'm not gonna give to the church, I don't like how they spend their money. I'm not gonna go to the church, I don't like what they do. I'm not gonna sing with that band, I don't like that style. I served at my last church, they didn't say thank you, so I'm never serving again. Inner vows, inner vows. You, were, you break an inner vow by covenanting with God. Okay, God, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna bless, I'm gonna build relationships, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless the family. And what happens when you have church hurt, there's a fight or flight response. You stay and declare war or you run for your life. This is where people stop going to church. The difference between solitude and isolation is this. Solitude is where you get alone to meet with God. Isolation is where you get alone to meet with Satan. There is a difference. If you are rejecting relationship with God's people, you are not inviting solitude with the Lord, you are inviting um, isolation with the enemy. That's what happens. And you break that by having faith. God is working in them, God is working in me, God is working in us, God is over all of this, God is good. Why do I tell you this? Because it's peacetime. And I need you to know this when war comes, because I love you. And what we have is precious. If Christ loved the church, then we know for sure that Satan hates the church because he hates whatever Christ loves. I wanna close with a story. It wasn't in my notes, but it is in my heart. And it's to honor uh, Grace, my wife, our five kids, and also Linda, my mother-in-law who's here. Um, Grace is a pastor's daughter, pastor's wife. True or false, opportunity for church hurt. Opportunity for church hurt. My kids, their grandpa was a pastor, their dad is a pastor. Opportunity for church hurt? Yep. Of all the women I know, I think that my wife, per the experiences she's had and the years she's lived, has got the greatest excuse for church hurt and bitterness. And I think my kids for years on the earth and things endured have the greatest right to, in an unhealthy way, sort of self-justify church hurt. So I'll tell you a story. It was uh, some years ago, we were in literally a war. It was the hardest season of our life. I won't get into details. I don't wanna speak ill of anyone. Um, you know, 
I want to bless even if I'm cursed. I got, I got literally overwhelmed. It was a war on every front. And it was, a, I came out of the bedroom in my pajamas one morning and there's Grace and all the kids sitting in the living room. It kind of looked organized. You know what I'm saying? But they were all in their pajamas. So I was like, what are we doing? They're like, well, dad, do you know what day it is? I said, no. They said it's Sunday. I didn't know it was Sunday. That's how, that's how sort of battle weary I was. They said, since we can't go to church, we decided we're gonna do church at home today. Okay. One of the kids said, I'll read scripture. Another one said, I've organized prayer. Another one of the kids said, I'll lead us in song, the one who can sing. The boys all got my voice, pray for them. <laughs> and then my son said, I'll collect the offering. tell you why. <laughs> there was a single mom and we always sort of sponsor single mom and their kids for Christmas. And so he had picked one and he was going to start collecting the offering to give it to them with the holidays coming up. So they said, and dad, we've decided you can be the Bible teacher. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't have a sermon prepared. We sang, we prayed. It came time for me to teach. I remember looking at Grace and the kids thinking, okay, today I pastor six people. They're my six favorite people. They're my six most important people. And I'm crying, they're crying. And I said uh, in my spirit, you know, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? God led me to Ephesians 4. I opened to Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Forgive as you've been forgiven. I wanted that hurt to be healed so that my children would not declare war on God or me or the church. We kept meeting and healing up. We then moved to Arizona. We weren't sure exactly what God was gonna have us to do. We were attending a church and we came home one Sunday and the kids said, hey, we're gonna call a family meeting. So they did. Okay, what do you kids wanna talk about? They said, uh, let's plan a church. Really, you kids wanna plan a church? Yeah, we love the church and we love the Lord. And, and, and if our family could plan a church and love everybody, maybe we could end up with a really loving church family. So they named it after the church that given Linda, Grace's mom and dad pastored for years, the Trinity Church. We started architecting the Trinity Church at my dining room table with my kids. At one point, my daughter who was 13 or 14 at the time, she asked, am I on the board? <laughs> I said, you know, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> you know, um, you are filled with the spirit and we get along. So that could be a possibility. <laughs> but you're not 18 yet. So we'll revisit that later. If Grace and the kids hadn't healed from their church hurt, we wouldn't have this church family. The Trinity Church exists because God has created something. And I just need you to know, somehow Satan's gonna wanna counterfeit it. So we need to protect it. And, and we protect it by forgiving. We protect it by loving. We protect it by being filled with the spirit, which gives us power over unholy spirits. So I just wanna publicly honor my family. I am so grateful at their character and integrity. And we're all here serving because they don't have church hurt. They've had church healing. And I'll tell you where the church healing came from. It came from the church. It came from you people loving our family and we love and appreciate you very, very much. And we talk very fondly of you because we have deep affection for you. So thank you for being an awesome church family. And thank you for the way you have lovingly embraced my family. And I just wanna publicly honor Grace and the kids for their attitude and disposition. And, and they did not choose bitterness and rebellion. Yeah.
I had a demonic spirit that was uh, over me this week and I didn't even know it. I just felt confused. I felt heavy. I felt anxious. And I was driving in the Jeep and I prayed against it and it lifted. So I just feel like I'm supposed to pray some things over you so that some things can break. Father God, I pray against a spirit of church hurt. I pray against a spirit of bitterness. I pray against a spirit of fear. I pray against a spirit of rebellion. I pray against a spirit of stubbornness. I pray against a spirit of division. We say, as was said in Zechariah and Jude, the Lord rebuke you, spirit of fear. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of bitterness. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of church hurt. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of rebellion. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of stubbornness. The Lord rebuke you, spirit of selfishness. The Lord rebuke you, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you. This place belongs to the Lord Jesus. This place belongs to the Prince of Peace. And so we declare to those unseen realms that would be listening in today, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring your power and your presence that we might forgive as we have been forgiven, that we might serve as we have been served, that we might give as we have received. The Lord rebuke you to every unclean, unholy, unsurrendered spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you to bring life where there is death, to bring salvation where there is condemnation, to bring truth where there is lies, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring faith where there is fear. Because fear has to do with punishment and perfect love casts out fear. And God, we come now to worship you because your love is perfect in Jesus' name, amen.